The title of our talk this morning is Unity and Living Parables. Now, I have a clicker. I'm going to test it and see if it works. Praise the Lord. So we are, we have from Somerville, Georgia, where we own and operate the Vineyard Vegetarian Cafe and Juice Bar. Um, we were here about three years ago um, when uh, Brother Dysinger did a sermon, and his sermon was entitled, I Have a Dream. And one of the things he said in his sermon that resonated with me, he says, I, I have a dream one day that there will be a Adventist-owned restaurant being supplied by an Adventist grower. And when I heard that, I said, we're, we're kind of doing that in, on a very small scale. So I remember I went and told John, I said, I'm going to give you a proof of concept. I'm going to see how it can be practically done. And that was my motivating force because I know the, the secret of the health message lies in the people in this room, um, growing this healthy, organically grown food. Uh, most restaurants now, they, they give some type of fake meat and they throw some barbecue sauce on it and they try to charge you $12 or $15 for it. And that stuff is not going to reverse any disease. So, so we've been open for four years. Um, we started four years ago, and by God's grace, we've been, still been open. Several trials and tribulations, um, but we've been doing uh, some work. So the Lord has opened doors for us to do ministry in a lot of different avenues. This is us in a public school in our, in our town. Um, we do something at our restaurant called the 10-Day Health Challenge. We call it Let the Healing Begin. So we put people in a plant-based diet for 10 days. We work with over 500 people over the last three years. And what we do, and we're going to show a little bit as we go along, we, we literally put them on a uh, plant-based diet, we do education, we do cooking classes, we take them to the grocery store, um, and it's just a powerful program. And, then, and by doing that, the people that we've worked with has allowed us to say, you know what, these, we know these people. These, these, are, these are good uh, Christian folks, or just good people, and their business is, is trying to help the community. Could you do a program in our, in our school? So this is all our second grade um, in, at this high, a particular school that we went to. And as you can see over here, you know, I don't know if anybody ever dealt with anybody teach Sabbath school and trying to keep um, some five-year-olds or seven-year-olds entertained for an hour. Mm -hmm. So here we are, we're trying to, so we, I don't know if you can see, like the, we had the guess what's in the box. We got those four boxes in there. So we guess what's in the box and we, you know, we have Coca-Cola in there and we, and we do little fun things and then we'll put like a, a teddy bear in there and say, you know, we just had a, we had a great time and the kids were uh, very, very blessed. We also did, um, so we brought all the eight laws of health into this program. One of the things we did was trust, trust in the divine power, right? So how do we do trust in God? So we were thinking and we were brainstorming. So what we did is we had some volunteers. We said, anybody from my church want to volunteer? And you just never know what you're going to volunteer for, right? <laughs> so they came and I had one of the, they had, um, so we blindfolded our volunteers, right? And they had to go through an obstacle course. And the people, so I had kids come. I said, kids. So we had one volunteer on that end of the gym, and then we had the volunteer blindfolded, and he had to kind of go through an obstacle course. So he had to focus on the voice of the other volunteer and say, to go through the obstacle course. And then I had like kids surround them. I said, give me four kids and just surround them and tell them to go the other way, the other way, the other way. And so they're walking and going through the thing. He says, left, left. And the volunteer's like, no, go right. And, then, and it, was just a, it was just so fun. But the, the point of it was trust in authority. So we need to trust in our teachers and in our, in our, in our principals. And we're going to have a lot of noise around us that's going to tell us to do the wrong thing. So that's what we did. And we had a, we had a great time doing that. And we also, and th the funny thing about this, 
So they didn't, we, we were showing them how, uh, how to eat healthy. Yeah. And uh, so we, we, had to, we had to smoothie, and we said, we're going to do smoothies. <laughs> so we're going to say, anybody like mangoes? Yes. And he's like, oh, uh, how about uh, bananas? Yes, strawberries. Oh, what about spinach? They're like, no, no, you're going to mess it up. You're going to mess it up. And we like, put the spinach in there, and then we blended it up, and then we, we, we brought it around, and you should have seen the kids. They were smelling it, and they were, and then they tasted it. And this, this is everybody's reaction. They were like, this is, this is incredible. And you'd be surprised how many people came to the restaurant just because we went there. All, they brought the kids. The kids brought their parents. There's something in marketing called the nag effect. <laughs> it's scientifically proven. So this is, this is what marketers do. So that's why, that's why you never see a... Uh, a toy commercial when you're watching like Jeopardy or a news thing. It's always on the cartoons. So what the kids do, mommy, I want this, mommy, I want this toy, mommy, I want this toy. And they go to Walmart and guess what, guess what, guess what the company does? They put it right at the end, end cap of the aisle. So they see it and they, mommy, I want, mommy, I want. And the kids go, fine, we'll get it. It's called a nag effect. So we can use it in God's way, right? So we use a nag effect and they nag, nag, nag their parents to bring them to the restaurant to get a smoothie. So this is a way that, that, that we've been doing. We also do in-home cooking classes uh, with our 10-day health challenge. We, we go in people's home and teach them how to cook. Um, so literally what we do, we try to take every excuse away of being healthy. Um, so this is, this is and, and we've done so many cooking classes over the last, I mean, over, I don't know, 100, 150. I mean, we, I don't know how many cooking classes we've done. But and we also do kids' cooking schools. So this was fun. We did it. So, we had a church contact us say, hey, could you guys do a kids' cooking school? Have you ever done it? I said, no, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> and this is what we did. So we said, we just don't want to do a cooking school. Everything we do is trying to be um, outreach focused, right? So what we did, we said, we do a three-day cooking school, and then the last day we're going to have a banquet. And we're going to have the kids invite their families to come to the banquet to see what they, what they did. So you'd be surprised. Again, a nag effect. They called their grandparents and they said, you need to come, you need to come, you need to come. So people started coming to the thing and I was like, what brings you here? Oh, my, my granddaughter called me and told me that I need to come and see what she made. And then we're sitting there and guess what they got? They got the gospel of hell. So we did a presentation and most people would never even step in front of the foot in the church if, if it wasn't for this program. But we had kids from, what was it, what was age? It was from three all the way up to 18. Three to 18. They said, what's the age group? I said, they can walk, bring them in here. <laughs> and so we had three different, so the first is the funny part. So we had three, um, three different stations, right? Uh, well, different age groups. And we, had, we were making, using almond butter and things like that. And we're like, okay. We had like a little side wager. Who's gonna make the biggest mess? So we thought it was the youngest. So we had baby wipes. We were ready for the cleanup. But it wasn't the youngest. The youngest was actually the neatest out of all the groups. <laughs> and it was that next group that just was like wearing almond butter. It was just a mess. But it was, a, it was, a, it was an incredible time. And they, they actually served their family what they made. And these are just ways how, how we were able to outreach. Um, so they were, they, they were and, and we did it. And it was, it, was just, it was just an amazing, amazing time. We also do cooking schools. So we, we, we've done cooking schools with one person. Our first cooking school was with one person. And we like, and we had passion. We were just for that one person. It was, and then next cooking class, it was one person. <laughs> and then we kept on going because the Bible says, "Let us not be weary and well doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not." So that kind of growed and it growed and it growed, and now all of a sudden we we 
we, we've gotten invited to do cooking classes. We've done cooking classes. I had uh, over 100 people there. We've done cooking classes in corporate events. I went and literally been into corporate settings doing cooking classes. Um, so it's just been amazing how the Lord has been opening doors. Another cooking classes that we've done. Um, this is our restaurant here um, in Somerville, Georgia. It's one of our monthly cooking classes that we do have. Um, and so we, 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 you want to speak to any of the, any of the, the pictures here? She's not. Well, for the cooking classes, we do the cooking classes to educate, educate the community. Um, and we do it free of charge, um, so there's no obligation. So when they come, they're able to get, they're able to taste the food, see how to make it, and um, take it home, the, the recipes home, so they can do it for their families. And you see, it's a tremendous blessing because they share it with others, and they continue to come back and say, okay, I can do this. This is easy for me, and it's not hard. That's what we found that um, if it's too hard, it's not, they're not willing to want to make the change. Yeah, it was funny. You know, somebody came and said, came to the restaurant and said, hey, how, why, don't you, why don't you guys serve these, you know, these particular burgers? I'm not going to mention them. And I said, you know, we try to make meals that you can replicate at home. I said, in order for you to make these certain meats, you're going to have to have a laboratory in your garage. So we, we, don't, we don't serve it. Here's a, here's a simple burger that you can go home and you can make. Because everything we serve, we're trying to uplift the body to reverse disease. So we, we're very, we're very, very uh, strict on when it comes to that. Um, so a couple more slides, a couple more pictures, another cooking class we've done. Uh, we've done cooking classes all over the place. But we want to get into our topic and get into a little bit of our testimony and unity and living parables. And we're going to focus on three different things. The first one is family. So unity in the family. Um, so. And when I thought about unity, I thought of a verse, and it was in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. If you get there, please say amen. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So when I thought about, that's a, that's a text that, I, that, that came to my mind when I was talking about living parables. And it said, this gospel of the kingdom should be preached for a witness to all the world, and then shall the end come. Now, my, my, you know, I got a degree in communications, and one of the things I learned was this, that 90% or more of our communication is what? Nonverbal. So I'm saying, okay, let's, this is study, this is science, 90% of all communication is nonverbal. How do we relate that to this gospel of the kingdom is preached for a witness? And I said, huh, oh, so it's not what you say, it's what you do. So if you're looking, if folks are looking at you and you're saying you're a Christian, are they seeing a Christian? Are they seeing it in action? And so, you know, I, we, we like to be very practical. We're, me and my wife are very practical. We, we don't understand it, we stop and we move on. So I, I was listening to, uh, and I was reading, I think it was the Ministry of Healing, it said when Christ taught, he spoke with such simplicity that even the children can understand, right? So we're going to do a little illustration here about what we just talked about, about this 90% of our communication is nonverbal. So I'm going to ask my wife a question, and we're going to dissect this nonverbal communication here. Okay, so, 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 so how are you doing this morning? Fine. Fine. Okay. She's fine. How many think she's fine? <laughs> so, so we see the... This, this arms crossed. I remember I used to do some corporate training, and, I, and if I see that in the crowd, I say, okay, everybody, let's stretch. And everybody stretch out. 
It's like, let me in, please, let me in. So if anybody comes across, uh, just uncross those arms, let us in this morning. So that, that is a, just a very practical illustration. Uh, so I'm going to ask the question again. So how are you feeling this morning? I'm doing great. Do we believe it? How many believe it? <laughs> you see? Now you see very practically what does that mean, right? That she's doing fine. But if she, if she had it, I'm fine. And that's not. So that's, and I think that is so powerful. 90% of our communication is nonverbal. So as we look at that, one of the quotes that came up as we were looking, as we were, as we were uh, on our little journey, it said, one well-ordered, well-disciplined family tells more in behalf of Christianity than all the sermons that can be preached. Such a family gives evidence of that the parents have been a successful in following God's influence. And in following God's influence grows. Is that right? A direction. Could you read that for me? I don't have my glasses. That's, that's very hard to read for me. In direction that their children will serve him in the church. Their influence grows for as they impart, their, they receive to impart again. The father and the mother find helpers in their children who give to others the instruction received in the home. The neighborhood in which they, have, uh, they live is helped, for in it they have become enriched for time and for eternity. The whole family is engaged in the service of the master and their godly example. Others are inspired to be faithful and true to God in dealing with his flock, his beautiful flock. So this is, this is a powerful testimony. So when appropriate, when we do a ministry, we bring our whole family. You know, we, we've, we've brought our family to an in-home cooking class. You know, and I got five kids. We didn't mention that. We got five kids. One is 13. Elizabeth, what's the other ages? I don't know. We got Elizabeth. <laughs> 13. And Tiffany is eight. Preston is seven. Madison is three. And Matthew is one. So we got an infant and a teenager. And it was so funny. I tell my daughter all the time, you know, there's different versions of tantrums, right? There's, there's a one-year-old version of tantrum, there's, there's a 13-year-old, and there's a 36-year-old version of a tantrum. We have our, own, we have our tantrums. So, so that's one witness. And another one is uh, another, another uh-oh, did I go too fast? Okay. So the greatest. The greatest evidence of the power of Christianity that can be presented to the world is a well-ordered, well-disciplined family. This will recommend the truth as nothing else can. For it is a living witness of its practical power upon the heart. The best test of Christianity of a home is the type of character begotten by its influence. Actions speak louder than the most positive profession of godliness. Actions speak louder than the most, the most profession of godliness. Now, in our particular testimony, we have, we, me and my wife have not been Adventists our whole life. We came into the church five years ago. So we came to church five years ago, so, but the first seven years, we've been married 12 years, we wasn't Adventist. I don't even know if we could call ourselves Christian at that. So there was a lot of things that we had to learn, and we had to become unified. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was important for us to be unified because we were coming, we, from our background, we're the first Adventists on both sides of our family. So there was a lot of tension and con the conflict going on um, to kind of step out on faith. So, so just a real quick, just, you know, because we only have a short amount of time. I grew up as a Pentecostal, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, I'm a preacher's kid. And then you go from, I was staying at my parents' house, it's about 12 years ago. I go from going to church every Sunday to pulling back because I saw there was inconsistencies. Then I went to study the Bible 
And as I'm doing this, a, a coworker comes to me and tells me about a documentary called Food, Inc. So I looked at the documentary and I said, they're trying to kill me. And, so, and my wife was like, what are you talking about? They're trying to do, I mean, the, the documentary really had a profound effect, effect on me. So I went cold turkey. I stopped eating meat. I just ate rice and beans for like three years. I just ate rice and beans. <laughs> then from there, you know, my brother, me and him were studying the Bible so intensely that we would call and ask questions constantly about different things. And he called me one day and asked me about the Sabbath. And I thought, the Sabbath is Sunday. Don't waste my time. Literally, I told him, don't waste my time. Give me something good to study. And I'm like, everybody knows this. So long story short, I studied for about 10 days. And I came to the conclusion that Sabbath was actually Saturday. And we started, me and my brother started keeping the Sabbath. I believe we thought we were the only person on the planet keep, that was Sabbath keepers. <laughs> and, that happened, and that was for three, three years that we were keeping the Sabbath. Had no clue of a seven-day Adventist. And then one day, the Lord, through his providence, we got a hold on the book, Great Controversy. So I read the book, and it was confirming all the things that we studied. So it was a tremendous shift into what we were, what, we were, what we were doing before. And so when we stepped out in the truth, me and my wife, wife got, actually got baptized together on the same day. And it was a cost that was associated when we stepped out. We understood if we stood for the truth, Boy, we just can't, our family, every, everything is going to, all these different challenges that we're going to face, or we just sit back and just, just be comfortable and do it. So when we decided to be an Adventist, we said, you know what, whatever the Spirit, Bible tells us, whatever Spirit of Prophecy tells us, by God's grace, we're going to try to do it with all our might. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a little background just of us. So after we got baptized, I'm going to share this little story with you. You know, so I had was studying so intensely for years. Then I got to the point, we got baptized, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the right church, so feet goes up, done, I'm just going to ride this glory train to heaven, right? <laughs> so that was like, I literally took a step back from the amount of intensity of study that I was doing. And then the Lord had to bring us through a trial. Now, I was, I was a corporate sales guy making a lot of money, nothing on my credit report pretty much debt-free. And then all of a sudden, it was one day, we moved to the country. This is so funny. We moved to the country. We thought it was a country. So we're in the city. My wife's from Bronx, New York. I'm from Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. So we moved, because we read the book Country Living, and we said, we got to move into the country. So we, we thought we were moving to the country. We moved over to the west coast of Florida. Um, this is a short story, and it was in a, a subdivision, right? The subdivision that was built for like, you know, a couple hundred homes, and it was like, like 10 homes in there. So I had all this open land. And I'm like, I'm country living with my code to get in the gate, right? <laughs> Access granted. I'm like, I'm country living. So I'm like, yeah. And then, so we, we, but we, we were able to meet a couple that taught us a lot of things before we moved to the country. Because if we went from the, the city straight to the country, I believe we would have been back in the city. Mm -hmm. So the Lord saw in his providence that we had a little, little step, a little jump. We were there for six months, and then we moved to the country because we had some stuff to learn. Uh, but through that, the Lord allows us to go through a trial. So here we are, first of the month. All of, all of the bills are, are pay, getting paid. I check the account to see what's being clear. Everything attached to my name says zero. All my accounts. I'm like, what is going on here? So I call the bank. I said, bank, what's going on? You're my bank. I know I got a lot of money in there. Oh, your accounts have been frozen. Here's a number call. I'm like, but it's my money. I said, there's nothing we can do about it. 
And then I didn't know it at the time. There was a, there was a debt that wasn't even on my, none of my credit reports. And somebody, Lord, allowed this to happen because it woke me up like nothing other did. Because at that time, I had a problem about, I probably had about, how much money, I, how much cash we had? Probably like $4 in my pocket. And all my accounts are frozen, right? And I'm like, test, test. And I'm like, mercy, Lord, what am I going to do? And then I was like, but the Lord has brought us through trials before. So I was like, huh, what are you trying to teach them? We're going to help somebody move. So we're going to help somebody move. My husband, what are you going to do? I said, we're going to help them move. So we went and helped move. And I came back and I went upstairs and I started praying. I was like, Lord, what are you trying to show me? And it was as loud as you possibly can have. You do not have as much time as you think you do. And immediately my, immediately my mind went to Hebrews 11:7. Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear to build an ark to the saving of his household. And I said, what does this ark mean in this time? And they talk about country living, talk about doing a garden. Because at that time, I was stalling to do a, just a garden. I was like, man, I, we go to, go to the store. Go to Whole Foods, man. I don't even know. Go to the store, man. I ain't getting out there sweating. I wore a suit for 10 years, okay? 10 years in corporate world wearing a suit every single day. Go out there and sweat in the garden? No. <laughs> but thank the Lord that he, that, he, that he changed us. So we got unified as a family with country living. And this is our prayer as we started moving out into the country. We said, Lord, send us where you need us. We were so sick of looking at Realtor and Zillow. We just said, enough. Lord, send us where you need us. Wherever you send us, we'll go. We were looking at Alaska, North Dakota, South Dakota. We just want country. And we just said, send us where you leave. And all of a sudden, within a matter of months, we were here. We got plopped into Somerville, Georgia. And I said, well, we're here. So the Lord said, so it must be needed. And that's why we started getting really, really involved in the community. So we're going to look at this. Uh, we're going to transition now to, so unity in the family is very important. Now we're going to talk about uh, unity amongst different ministry lines. Um, OK, there we go. So this is a graph that my wife had draw, drawn. So she's going to speak to that a little bit. So as I was praying in preparation for this, um, I realized like when we started the restaurant, um, I was doing devotion and we came up, um, I was reading John 15, five, where it says, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And that stuck with me because we cannot do this work without God with us. And so, um, as we were on our journey and opened the restaurant, we felt impressed that we should open the restaurant. But we also f was impressed that we must work together with other lines of work that God has set out. Um, and some of those were medical missionaries and agriculture and coal porters and canvassers and uh, the church. Um, and if we work together, then we can quickly finish this work. And, and how it worked together is with the restaurant, we have, it, it's an entering wedge to the hearts of the people. And we can use the agriculture as we're with the restaurant, we're using the foods that we're bringing from the garden and we're working with the other farmers and giving, supplying those to our customers. Um, and as we're doing that, their hearts are softening and asking, inquiring more questions about, okay, so, you do this, and they get inspired to say, we'll get a, a Bible question. And it's, we'll lead them, the medical missionaries come in, oh, I need help with um, dealing with this. And they'll help them 
natural remedies and things like that. And then they're also, um, the co-porters, and they also have books and resources for them to help them on their journey. Um, and then the church is there for support. And so all these working together, we saw how it impacts the community in a gr great deal in a short amount of time. You really can turn a city upside down if all of these are working together very, very quickly. And we believe this, the 10-day challenge that we do connects all these things together. And we've seen it over the last four years. So this is a quote, it says, unity and diversity. It says, what kind of unity is spoken of in these words? Unity and diversity. Our minds do not all run in the same channel. And we have not all been given the same work. God has given to every man his work according to his several ability. There are different kinds of work to be done. And workers of various capabilities are needed. If our hearts are humble, if we have learned in the school of Christ to be meek and lowly, we may all press together and narrow, and, and in the narrow path marked out for us. So unity is, is so vitally important. And I think we, we've kind of got that lost. You know, sometimes we go to different conferences and things like this, and, and we see all these ministries doing a great work by themselves. But imagine if we looked across the aisle and say, you know, how can we work together? Is it, is it very practical for us to work together in this particular line? How can I help you be all you can be? And then you, in turn, help me be all that we can be. Um, this, is, this is what we And there's other different gifts. And this is one of the gifts I wanted to, to illustrate. It says, all meet, all meet as blood-bought souls, alike dependent upon one who have redeemed them to, get, to God. The Lord has lent him talents. Those whom he has entrusted with money bring their talent of means to the master. So I, I, when I read that sentence, those whom has entrusted with money bring their talent of means to the master. So this is, in, this is in gospel workers. And it said that there's actually a talent of means. So some people say, well, you know what, I don't, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not really an entrepreneurial thinker type of individual. I don't really have a, a burden for agriculture. I don't have a burden for restaurant work. But the Lord is entrusting you with means. And we are told that we ought to have well-organized, laid-out plans that we may present these plans to the people with means and God may impress them to, to donate, to see the work um, go forward. So these are uh, other things. So for the sake of time, I'm going to go through these things. Now, well, one thing that we learned about hard work, like when I was little, when I was little, my dad taught me the value of hard work. And I remember one time we, we, were, we were coming up and we were on our, and our bills were coming up. My dad said, we need to make some money. So he's like, hey, I know how to wash cars. We're going to go out and wash some cars. And I'm out there, and I'm like 10 or 11 years old. And at the middle of the day, man, I'm getting tired, man. It's hot. I'm going to go home, right? And then my dad, he said something to me. He goes, uh, listen, we don't stop when we're tired. We stop when we're done. And I said, okay. And at that point, even though I was tired at that point, by hearing that, it allowed me to push myself a little bit further. And I was able to finish a day off, and that stuck with me. So as I'm going, as we're working hard for the Lord, you know, and you have a, a definite aim, you know, I'm not going to stop when I'm tired, I'm going to stop when I'm done. And so this is, this is and, the, and the Bible talks, and the Spirit of Proverbs talks about this, all who become co-workers with Christ will have a great deal of hard, uncongenial, uncongenial labor to perform, and their lessons of instruction should be wisely chosen and adapted to their, uh, to their peculiarities of character. So we see the benefit of hard work. So as we move along, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about go, more direct labor. So the more direct 
our labor for our fellow men, the greater good will be accomplished. You must come close to those from whom you labor, and they may not only hear your voice, but shake your hand, learn your principles, and realize your sympathy. Many can be reached only through acts of what? Disinterested kindness. I was like, what is that? As I started thinking about it, I just stopped right there. Disinterested kindness. And then obviously you read the quote. Their physical wants must first be relieved. As they see the evidence of our unselfish love, it will be easier for them to believe in the love of Christ. And this is what we've, what we've seen. And we talk about Christ's method alone will bring true success to reaching the people. And, so, and we know this quote, and, but that word sympathy sometimes we skip. And the word sympathy means, what does the word sympathy mean? If we love Jesus as we love to live for him, to present our thank offerings to him, to labor for him, the very labor will be light. For his sake we shall covet what? Pain and toil and sacrifice. We shall sympathize with his longing for the salvation of men. We shall feel the same tender craving for souls that he felt. So as we're sitting with people, as we're doing a health consultation with somebody, this quote comes to mind. We have people who literally, that I've done health consultations with, trying to get them to make dietary lifestyle changes. And they say, you know what, I'm going to wait until the 10-day challenge starts in a couple weeks. That's when I want to make my change. And I remember I was doing that one of the opening presentations, and I shared this story earlier. And I have a slide that says, prevention is better than cure, right? And as I, and I, as I did that slide, because this, this, this guy that, was, that I spoke to, he was supposed to be at that meeting. But he, I thought he was running late. I sent him a text. I sent a text to his daughter, like, are you guys coming? And as I got to that slide, a text hit my phone. I said, let me check this really quick. And I looked at it, and it said, my dad is not coming. He just had a massive heart attack, and we're rushing him to the hospital. So as we're sitting down with people, you've got to understand, people are literally dying in your areas every single day. God has given a health message to relieve the suffering of humanity. And if we don't have any sympathy for nobody, we go about our business, we grow our food, we make enough money for ourselves, making sure our family is up for ourselves, and our neighbors, our family, our community, people are dying left and right with a message that we can give them to help them. And this is, this is our message that, that we really want to bring today, the, the sympathy. So we want to do a quick testimonial. So we, we bring in, so we, had, we do this in practice. We just don't talk it, we, we do it. We had an individual who, who came with us. We, had, we, we wanted to really test pilot this 10-day challenge on a bigger scale. So we called a ministry called Thrive there in Kentucky. Narlon Edwards is the director. And we said, could you bring some, could you bring some uh, missionaries out to us? How many do you need? How many do you got? He <laughs> said, well, we got 14. Bring all 14. So they came, and they, they, came and, um, and they had a, a tremendous time. And this is one of the testimonies. I had her, uh, Christina, she's actually here. And I had her, had her write, write something up. You want to read it for her? I had the privilege to volunteer for two 10-day challenges with the Vineyard Cafe. In my experience, I was able to see how effective a center of influence in a city can be. This was more than just a business, more than just a restaurant. I saw a ministry and a light. I saw a whole town being revived with the hope of healing. As I worked with the different participants of the 10-day challenge, it was encouraging to see growth and how they choose to do things that they have never done before. I saw hope in their faces. I saw willingness, and I saw a search for more. I enjoyed being able to go to their home so often, making a very personal contact together, a lasting one. And I enjoyed being able to see their lives day by day being transformed mentally, spiritually, and physically. I just have 10 days. 
And we had the missionaries are going to leave, and they work with these, these individuals for 10 days, literally exercising with them, taking them to the grocery store, doing cooking classes, going to their homes, literally every single day, words of encouragement. And we had one, one family come back to the, oh, they're leaving today? I need to come down there. Drove about 30 minutes, came to the restaurant, literally hugged everybody's neck who came to the house about three times, crying. Three times. She's like, I, I don't understand who you, what, you know, just loss of words. And they're still asking for these. I mean, they're still asking. They've had such an impact. Every time we see them, oh, tell us such and such we said hi. Tell us such and such we had said hi. And this is, this is what we do. And go to the next slide for me. So this is them. They're, this is um, a group of missionaries. They're taking a family to the, to the grocery store. They're teaching them how to shop. And it's coming close to people. Mm-hmm. You're coming close to people. That is the key. People, this is such a careless world. Nobody cares. But if you show that you care, it's something that's so unique that you stand apart. Bible says we are a chosen generation, a royal, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Not a peculiar people where I'm, you know, I'm wearing a hat that has a giraffe on it. Peculiar. It's, it's peculiar as if I'm, they're doing something against the norm. And it's strange. There's something about you. So just, you know, we have a few minutes left. And this quote, can you guys go to the next slide, please, right here. The power of unity. This quote is like, to me, one of the top, I got a top five quotes in Spirit of Prophecy. It says, the hearts of those who were united, who have been converted under the labors of the apostles were softened and united by Christian love. By what? Despite former presidents, all were in harmony one with another. This sentence blew my mind. Satan knew that so long as this union continued to exist, he would be what? Powerless. Powerless to check the progress of gospel truth, and he sought to take advantage of former habits of thought in hope that thereby he might be able to introduce into the church elements of disunion. So, you wonder why Jesus in in, uh, John 17 was praying for unity. Because he knows if the the church is unified, the gospel is going to be spread, and the devil cannot stop it. So what did the devil say? I'm going to try to do disunity. Opposite of God. And Paul's ministry was so successful because he said, I'm not ignorant of the devil's devices. So we know that we all need to work together. So although we may have differences of opinion, we know that the devil is trying to get us to be disunion. We need to press toward unity, even though it's very uncomfortable. It can be very uncomfortable. Trust me, we know. Very, very uncomfortable. But we have to do it. So we got a few minutes left, and I, I just want to close with this. Anybody have heard a, um, so that what happened, you can leave it there. That's a powerful quote, we'll just leave it there. And then we'll go to the next one. To, there was a, I don't know if anybody heard this news article. It was a guy in Texas, I believe it was in Texas. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting at his table eating ice cream. Then all of a sudden, somebody busts in the door and shoots and kills him. That person happened to be a police officer. So here we are, there's this huge tension in this particular community. And the officer ended up going to trial, and she ended up getting convicted. So at sentencing, there are opportunities for the family to come and share their thoughts, their pain and suffering. And you had all these family members come, and some of them weren't very nice to the lady. And then his younger brother came on the stand. Has anybody heard this story? His younger brother came on the stand. If you haven't seen the video, it was very emotional. 
He gets on the stand and he says, um, I'm speaking for myself, but you know, you know, according to the Bible, we ought to forgive. And my brother wouldn't want me to forgive you. So I just want to say, I forgive you and I want you to give your life to Christ. I'm speaking for myself. And he was like, I'm not speaking for my family, I'm speaking for myself. I want to see you in the kingdom. I want, to, I want your soul to be saved. And then he literally begged the judge, can I give her a hug? Please, 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 can I give her a hug? And the judge didn't know what to do. She was starting to cry. Uh, yeah, go give her a hug. He comes across and starts to embrace this lady, saying, I forgive you, I forgive you. The lady broke down crying. And I'm looking at that, what a manifestation of God's love. Wow, that was powerful. It literally broke the internet. That one act, everybody was talking about it. Here we are, we have a brother, uh, brother, brother Clinton in our church, he, he pressed it upon his heart, the Lord pressed him to go house to house to study. study. And here we are in a, in, a, in a house, a small group Bible study in the middle of Somerville, Georgia, in the backwoods of the country. Here we are talking about this event. Not only are they talking about it in Somerville, they're talking about it all over the nation. One event of the act of God's love. Can you imagine? And that actually thrilled my heart. It, it warmed my heart. And I looked around and I said, wow, this is a glimpse of what's going to happen in Revelation 18. That the whole earth is going to be lighted with the glory of God. Because if one person showing the love of God and loving their enemies, imagine if there's a thousand, a hundred thousand. And this quote, and this quote right here, if Christians were to act in concert, moving forward as one, under the direction of, of one power for the accomplishment of one purpose, they would what? Move the world. And I look at this and I say, you know what, as in closing, I know I got a minute or two left. And I look at this and I see this tremendous manifestation of God's love. And I said, wow. And I'm looking, and then I look into our church. And it's so easy to say, wow, look, and he, he actually forgave somebody who did such a horrible thing to his brother. But yet in our church, we can't forgive somebody we disagreed with in board meeting. And I'm like, Lord, we need some help. We need some help. So I, I have an appeal. And we have a, we have a short, short time. I, we know we didn't get to nowhere near the, some of the things that, that, we, that we wanted to go to. But the Bible said there's no greater love than this, that we lay down your life for your friend. Now, I played football in college, and it was something about doing something for my brother. You know, we're all, we're all, we, 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 have, we go through all these trials and tribulations, and we go through this suffering during training camp, and we, have, we build this camaraderie. And it's like, I don't want to let my brother down. So I'm, going to do it. I'm trying to do my job. And then I take that, and I look at Paul. He takes the same illustration as about running a race. So if you had that same uh, training and everything for a, a crown that's uncorruptible, how much more should we have it for a crown that, I mean, a corruptible crown, how much more should we do for an uncorruptible crown? And we look at Christ, we're told that we ought to study the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes. And we see that those are closing, closing scenes that Christ eventually died on the cross. But something happened in the Garden of Gethsemane that I think we overlook. Not only did Jesus die on the cross, he actually died to self in the Garden of Gethsemane. So not only is a greater love than this that we ought to lay out down our life for our brother, not only our physical life, but self 
We need to, and, and I, me and my wife, we're like, we're, we want to let God use us and we can die to self, but we, we won't let our brothers and sisters down. We want to let God work through me and, and that we can do our part in this big tree that the Lord, because imagine if you look at that tree, you look at a body, if one person's not doing his job, the whole body suffers. And this is how we have to think in order for us to come together, to, to have this love. So, every eye closed, head bowed, and I just want to have an appeal. As we close, Lord, um, I want to, I want to, I want to have an appeal and, and is there anybody here that would, or is willing to say, you know what, I need more of Jesus? I would ask you to raise your hand. And we see those hands. And is there any, anybody here who has maybe something against a brother or a sister that they need to go resolve? This is the time. The Lord is calling. If that is you, we ask that you do raise your hand. And we see those hands. So let's, let's, let's seal this in prayer. If we can all bow or kneel as we approach the Lord in prayer and we close. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this presentation. You know, as we shared our testimony, we pray that folks were inspired. And we hope, Lord, as we leave this place that we are challenged not only to do our part in this gospel work, but also to, to show this brotherly love one to another. Lord, you saw the hands of folks who, who may have something on their heart that they need to go and clear up with their brother or their sister. And we know, Lord, if this does not happen, we cannot be saved. Lord, help us not to fool ourselves that we can hold bitterness and anger and strife in our heart and still make it into your kingdom. Please help us, Lord, to surrender fully to you, that you, your work may be accomplished in this world. We've seen in that one act of love from that brother in that courtroom, and we pray, Lord, we can show that same love to this world, but first to our brothers as well. Please, Lord, as we transition now from um, the business of agriculture into a spiritual aspect as we move into the Sabbath hours, we pray that you prepare our hearts to receive the message from the speakers and all the, and all the uh, different uh, breakout sessions. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.